take a walk, ride, stroll, or just listen as you take hold and engage because you are now entering the Cerebral Podcast. Joke of the day. What do you get when you mix a grappling hook with a scrappy situation? Answer. A grappy situation that you hope will turn into a happy or even sappy situation. Thought of the day. Sometimes you have to push yourself through a situation and sometimes you have to pull yourself through or twist yourself through. But being aware that the gravity of a situation also helps you make it through. Hello and welcome back to the Cerebral Podcast. This is episode 32. Thank you for joining me today. Preface. November is Prematurity Awareness Month. Today I am going to talk about the definition of exceptional caregiving. Then I'm going to talk about the definition of stress. Following that, I'm going to talk about additional stresses on families dealing with kids with disabilities. Next, I will talk about some of the vulnerabilities of caregiver stress. After that, I will talk about some of the strategies for dealing with caregiver stress. Finally, in this week's Rite of Passage Experiences, or ROPE, I am going to talk about some of the physical and emotional stress that I had with my parents in the 1970s and 80s. All I ask for you to do is listen for one or two ideas to take away from this episode. Now, let's get started. According to the Boston College Center for Working Families, exceptional caregiving describes situations that have emerged from social shifts that extend beyond the traditional scope. Exceptional caregivers often experience feeling the squeeze between four things. Number one, family and career. Number two, guilt and ability. Number three, time and distance. And lastly, number four, finances and responsibilities. The six differences that distinguish exceptional caregiving for kids with disabilities often are number one, constant care that escalates. Number two, extraordinary input of time and energy. Number three, care that gets harder as time goes by. Number four, many interruptions become emergencies or require immediate attention. Number five, challenges are rarely shared and the successes are fewer than able-bodied kids. Number six, increased exposure to additional challenges or future risks. According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, physical stress is a force exerted when one body 
or body part presses on, pulls on, pushes against, or tends to compress or twist another body or body part. According to the Mayo Clinic, it is natural to feel angry, frustrated, exhausted, or sad. The emotional and physical stress of caregiving is common. Caregiving stress can also change the caregiver's health. Some of the eight common risk factors to caregiver stress include number one, being female, number two, having a lack of advanced education, number three, living with the person that you are caring for, number four, social isolation, number five, financial difficulties, number six, the higher number of hours spent caregiving. Number seven, the lack of coping skills and difficulty problem solving. And lastly, number eight, the lack of choice in being or becoming a caregiver. One quick way to, to reduce or not add to caregiver stress is to use the, the acronym HALT. It stands for Hungry, Angry, Lonely, and Tired. Halting is not always possible, especially if you are the primary caregiver. The emergency response by a caregiver occurs when a threat happens or is perceived. Some of the ways to manage caregiver stress according to the Mayo Clinic and other sources are accept help, make a list of ways others can help you. My suggestion would be letting people help also empowers them to offer their bandwidth or their capacity to help rather than feeling obligated. Also, I would suggest that Doing chores or things that you enjoy, even as a break, would be helpful. Be mindful that doing some activities could give you a rest in other ways. For example, physically washing dishes could give you more of an emotional break. Adult coloring could also be another physical activity that gives you an emotional release. Another idea is engaging your mind with a crossword puzzle to stimulate your mind, while at the same time it gives your body some time to rest. Don't try to be the perfect caregiver. The situation will inevitably throw curveballs. Set up a system that works but also builds in some flexibility. The goals need to be realistic. If you work best with data and numbers or schedules, set up spreadsheets. If you are a visual person, use a whiteboard or post-it notes. If you respond to or use audio cues, use a voice recorder. 
Find groups to provide empathetic support. You can also get advice from physical therapists, occupational therapists, social workers, and other professionals. This can also include other parents of children with special needs. This will also help with isolation. There are now dyadic disability psychotherapy models which demonstrate the bi-directional relationship between the caregiver and the care receiver. It acknowledges that each member of the caregiving dyad is an equal partner with the ability to impact each other's functioning. The benefit to this is that both people in the caregiving equation work together and help each other achieve goals. I think it is important to set up ground rules to know the limitations of both people beforehand. In this week's Rope or Rite of Passage experiences, I want to talk about some of the caregiver to child challenges that I experienced with my parents. The first challenge was that I was expected or pressured to perform in able-bodied situations in the 1970s and 1980s. Many times I had to swallow the fear, like the singer Pink. The whole world scared, so I swallowed the fear. I had a lack of equity, not only in society, but also in my family. Many times I had to work twice as hard to get half the results. Adults were also often telling me what to do, but often I got intimidated or coerced into different situations. I did not have a lot of spaces or times to ask for a reasonable accommodation. I felt like my parents wanted to fix me and then forget that I had a disability or crutches. Remember, it was the 1970s and 80s. When my parents could, they would take away my crutches or hide them in pictures. I would be leaning against furniture or sitting down so I didn't need the crutches in the pictures. My parents didn't have an understanding of caregiver stress. By contrast, my physical therapist at Juanio, the Rockland County, New York, United Cerebral Palsy affiliate, was my physical therapist. He consistently pushed and pulled me in different directions, but he also respected my physical and emotional boundaries. I often felt like a physical threat to my parents. They also didn't become an active part of the disability community with other families. So while they were pushing and pulling me apart, they didn't understand the gravity or gravitas I had in the situation. I was being pushed through or pulled myself through different situations. The power and equity in the situation were not in my favor. I made it through because I continued to grapple through difficult, scrappy situations because I understood that my disability was much bigger than just me. 
I also grew to develop a higher purpose to help the next generation of families with disabilities. Did you hear one thing that you could lean into and use in your life? Reflections. While I was writing the episode, one of the things I realized was that sometimes families or parents forget that the kids with disabilities are just born the way they are. They didn't choose it just like the parent didn't choose it. And a lot of times, at least I was just feeling like, what else do you want me to do? Or how how else do you want me to perform? I'm doing the best I can or I'm working as hard as I could. Even in doing the research, I also didn't find much as far as care receiver strategies except for the disability dyad. The parent-child power differential sometimes is so strong and there's so much of a difference just between the physicality of parents and kids that, especially kids with disabilities, that it becomes difficult to navigate physically, but also emotionally and even articulate different uh, issues or problems. And another thing I thought of was the fact that the disability is not something that is often desired or looked for. It's something that that happens in people Uh, Both the parent and the child just need to learn how to cope with and deal with the situation or the new reality. It also puts extra pressure on the child as well because all they're trying to do is conform to the conditions or whatever the rules are within either the family or or the situation. Another thing I thought about was that I still have a hard time explaining um, disability issues to different members of my family. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that there are people that are older than me that knew life before I came along, but the people who are younger than me, both friends and family, they have more of a deeper understanding of my disability because they don't know things any differently. They've always known me to have a disability. It reminded me of conversations that I've had with friends who were born after the ADA and them not getting frustrated because disability discrimination is against the law. They don't have reference points of life before the ADA. I know before the ADA, they don't know, and they haven't lived through circumstances before the ADA. One of the things I uh, didn't really think about or, or consider before doing the research for this episode was feeling the squeeze and a lot of the issues that parents go through as far as Um, just having to make difficult choices, finances, and guilt, and other things. I've I've known about them, but I haven't really thought about them in 
combination to the uh, disability or caregiver stress. I think one of the other issues with uh, my parents and me is that I've had a lot of friends with disabilities, and, and I, but growing up with a disability, I only got to know friends with disabilities through camp. Um, even in camp growing up, my parents really didn't have or even didn't seek out. They didn't have any exposure to disabilities or they weren't friends. I had friends with disabilities. My parents did not. Even the friends that I had with disabilities, my parents were not really friends with them. And my parents didn't really associate with other families or kids with disabilities other than the things that I was ex exposed to. And I just, especially with my parents' generation and knowing about the power of vulnerability and and how vulnerability used to be viewed people in the baby boomer generation vulnerability was not a good or positive thing in a lot in a lot of ways it, it uh, vulnerability even personal or financial or other types of vulnerability that often isn't uh, was not thought about favorably it was thought it was thought about in society even as being a weakness where you didn't really show vulnerability because other people could capitalize on it or take advantage of it so people didn't often expose their own vulnerabilities thank you for listening to me ramble thank you for allowing me to be a voice inside your head Please share this podcast with someone you know. Were there one or two specific things that you learned or liked? Would you mind joining and sharing it on the Cerebral Podcast Facebook group? You can listen to the show on Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you to the listeners who support the show on the Cerebral Podcast Facebook group. I invite you to join the group. You can also email the show at thecerebralpodcast at gmail.com or send questions, comments, or ideas for the show. And remember, it takes effort to be vulnerable, be accountable, and be respectful in the way you treat others and yourself. You can be the biggest variable in your life when you take ownership. Now, take hold, engage in your world. You are now leaving the Cerebral Podcast.